For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Arabatus is a nesting process in which a bunch of turtles crawl up the beach and lay eggs at the same time. Synchronized nesting, you could call it. Probably not a future Olympic event. This type of tactic is used by many species to overwhelm predators. And when I say many species, I'm talking about oaks to elk. Drop a bunch of elk calves on the ground at roughly the same time, or acorns for that matter, and there is just no way the predators can get to them all before they get into the ground or their wobbly little legs turn into solid muscle and propel them away from danger. Olive Ridley sea turtles, which is one of the most abundant sea turtles in the world, as well as one of the smallest, nest in several locations. One I'm talking about is in Costa Rica right now. They use this tactic synchronized nesting arabatus to overwhelm vultures. As many as 20,000 sea turtles have arrived to nest in a single day. Another nesting site in India called Odisha reported 600,000 turtles in only one week. They nest above the high water mark, which means they have to crawl from the ocean up the sand to where the uh, sea resides. Keep in mind these are heavy creatures made for floating, not crawling. When they get to their spot, they have to quickly dig a hole and deposit their eggs, or else the uh, vultures show up to eat them. They'll deposit roughly 100 eggs per nest or clutch, cover them up. Once they're covered up, they're safe from the, the vultures at least, and then they'll crawl back into the ocean. It took the youngest ones, the first ones to get back, 15 years till their first nesting cycle. There's an interesting thing here to keep in mind. Due to the sheer numbers involved in these arabatas, you would think that the nesting sites would all be huge, but some are actually quite small. 
which raises a question for the scientific community as to why would all of these turtles select such a small patch of sand? To shine a little light on the situation and the plight of the olive ridley sea turtle, which is currently listed as vulnerable by the IUCN, or International Union for the Conservation of Nature, the PBS series Spy in the Wild uses incredible lifelike robots. A sea turtle bot that actually digs and lays eggs alongside real sea turtles. The eggs are also cameras that capture the look on the vultures' faces as they uh, hunt out the eggs. It's pretty darn cool stuff. I guess I'm just bringing this up to tell you. Uh, Don't forget about uh, your public broadcasting system out there in the mess of media. They're still doing really good work. I I, I don't need a fishing pole, Bert. How are you going to catch all these fishes without a fishing pole? I have this special fish call, and they come right into the boat. This week, we've got animal-human conflict, black bears, grizzlies, bison, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. Holy cats, friends and neighbors. I am back in the puppy game. As I record this, I am staring at a hard-headed, independent, about eight-and-a-half-pound yellow lab who's only about eight-and-a-half weeks old. Uh, So far, she has jumped into the Missouri River unprovoked, retrieved several things, has fearlessly bit, growled, barked, and harassed several full-grown dogs. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is I may be in over my waders on this one. I haven't come up with a name as of yet, but I am kind of leaning towards steel power equipment. Maybe just steel for short. Steel, as you know, sponsors this podcast and makes life in the yard or woodlot easy by making super high quality equipment from limb loppers to power sprayers and clean, quiet, lightweight, battery powered chainsaws that have helped get me out of all sorts of jams that I got myself into. Anyway, back to this little dog. It's been a while since my last dog, whose name was uh, Fisher, aka the Big Fish, aka Fish. So I'm rereading this fantastic book by Richard Walters called Water Dog. It is a joy to read, full of incredible, simple training info. I recommend it to everyone. Uh, Walters has several other titles, most of which I've actually read through. In addition to being a dog trainer and author, Walters was, according to the New York Times obits, a chemical engineer, a glider pilot, a parachutist, a teacher of art history and photography, and he especially admired Labradors for their diligence, devotion, stamina, pleasant temperament, and ability to become family friends. So, uh, I guess all I'm saying is uh, cross your fingers for me. In addition to the puppy, met up with a few friends over the weekend, fish for walleye and bluegill, targeting fish for the frying pan. My walleye hooking to bite ratio is still crappie. That's a panfish joke for you. But we did manage to get a few, and we actually picked them up on crappie rigs that I got from a crappie master angler named Tony Big T. Shepherd, who you can see firsthand on Cal's Week in Review Tennessee Carp YouTube series episode. So check that out on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. We used small crappie jigs in big murky water which paid off better than the big baits. I ended up with two big filetable fish and two smaller walleye. I descaled the smaller ones using uh, Old Man Ranella's barrel scaler, which is essentially like running a fish through a cheese grater, then whole fried the walleye. Never have I seen this done before, but it worked out 
fantastically. And as you know, if you whole fry a fish, there is very little waste. For folks like myself who are not masters of the fillet knife, this is a good way to go. The big fish I used a set of steel pruning shears and took the whole collar off. Then I fried those, lots of meat on fish collars. Spencer Newharth, our senior hunting editor at Meat Eater, hit me to the walleye wings, which is just the pectoral fins. But I think collars are the way to go. Lastly, here in the My Week section, I know this is going to be releasing a little late, but I wanted to say Happy Independence Day to all of you. I hope everyone made it out to a big, beautiful chunk of public land, maybe picked up some trash, along with, you know, the normal having fun 4th of July, Independence Day weekend stuff. Trying new recipes, learning something new, checking out new spots. Additionally, thank you to all of our service members out there, as well as our first responders. I know this long weekend can be a busy one. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Moving on. First stops over at the Black Bear Desk. You've got a special Black Bear Roundup, in fact. Trisha Hurt 
used her cell phone to capture and narrate the freeing of a black bear on Wisconsin's Marshmiller Lake. This was actually a pretty technical bear release as far as bear releases go, as the bear was not physically held to a spot, it was in fact swimming across the lake with its head stuck inside what appeared to be a plastic-like snack mix jar. Oh, bother. I think we can guess as to how the bear ended up with the jar on its head, and it wasn't likely because the bear didn't want to get the top of its head wet or check out the scuba scene. Feeding bears, which includes providing the opportunity for bears to scavenge off of you by raiding your garbage cans, cars, garages, or walking around your deck to look for leftovers, often results not in a bear swimming a lake with a snack mix tub on its head, but in the death of the bear by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Black bears have an incredible knack for getting back to where they were caught, so oftentimes releases of treble bears only end up with that bear getting right back to where they got in trouble, which is why they typically get euthanized, shot, killed, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, the Hurt family used their boat to motor alongside the smallish black bear and at great personal risk, grabbed the jar and pulled it free from the bear's head. As Trisha says at the end of the video, as the bear swims off into the sunset, this has been a night. Wonder what the sentiment would have been if that bear had made it onto the boat or got a paw on that helping hand. For the record, I probably would have been tempted to help that bear out myself, but after seeing what plenty of deceased black bear paws can do, just with the assist of gravity, I recommend letting that bear get that jar off its head on its own. I've had several pairs of pants sliced wide open during the recovery of bear carcasses, I would encourage, again, everyone to just leave them alone. They're very good at getting themselves in and out of trouble. And, you know, prevent this stuff by not feeding the dang wildlife or letting them get into these situations. Moving over the border. A black bear has been quite the attraction in Iowa. Iowa currently does not have an official black bear population. According to Jeff Harrison, Iowa DNR, Department of Natural Resources, Black bear sightings are steadily increasing in the state. The bears move in from neighboring states by feeding on corn and grain barges. Apparently, they stay on the barges until they've had their fill and slide back into the river, sometimes in a new state. Kind of like a ursine Huck Finn situation. Although that story sounds really good, I think when you consider the fact that 90% of Iowa is in agriculture, and almost all of the states bordering Iowa now contain at least some population of black bears, I think it's realistic that the state of Iowa has a few more bears than those that are being caught on film, and likely some that were brought in by their own wanderings, not just after waking up after a crazy night on a river barge. Jumping the next state line to Illinois, a black bear walked out of Wisconsin, no surprise, not even wearing a plastic snack tub, into Illinois. Briefly then into Iowa, then back into Illinois. As reported by Across Illinois, 300 people in Hendersonville County turned out to view, follow, and harass the bear. Must not be a lot going on in Hendersonville. Anyway, everyone knows that approaching wildlife is a bad idea, but the people of Hendersonville County couldn't bear to leave their new tourist alone. Which is why Illinois DNR is telling people to keep their paws off. 
Illinois Department of Natural Resource staff and conservation officers eventually managed to coerce the bear over Interstate I-72 and into Pike County. Apparently, the bear is now touring some famous whitetail country. The North American black bear was once distributed across the U.S., however, market hunting and habitat destruction eliminated the bear from huge chunks of its historic range. Recently, however, the bears, whose population is now back on the sharp or growing side of the curve, are repopulating some of their own stomping grounds. As we reported earlier, Missouri is in the public comment process of reinstituting a bear hunt in that state. Conflict through motor vehicle collisions, urban development, and open garages pose the largest threat to the American black bear. Currently, we have an estimated 950,000 bears, and that number is growing. Illinois Department of Natural Resources does not think this singular Bruin will set up shop in the state, but it looks to me like a few eventually will. The folks in rural and even suburban Illinois should be prepared to welcome them in. Moving on. Here's a fun fact for you. If you are unaware a shark's skin is rough to the touch, kind of like a cat's tongue, to be clear, that's just a more approachable example, a cat's tongue. I'm not saying that if you have not felt the skin of a shark or aware that it's rough, you're likely to be a cat person, all right? Anyway, shark skin is covered in tiny bones called dermal denticles. Dermal denticles are tough V-shaped scales that are actually teeth kind of. Hence the denticle. So stick with me here. Even though dermal denticles are tough like armor, they are likely on shark skin not to protect but to help reduce drag, which would allow for stealthier and easier swimming. You can see how that'd be important to a shark. Recently, researchers took a look at the eyes of whale sharks, which is our largest swimming non-whale species in the world. Whale sharks can reach lengths of up to 60 feet. For comparison, the other big shark that gets talked about a lot, the great white shark, can grow up to 20 feet and weigh in at 5,000 pounds. Unlike the great white, of course, the whale shark, even though it can weigh beyond 20,000 pounds, and again grow to beyond 60 feet, is a filter feeder. Whale sharks eat primarily tiny things. A wide variety of small fishes, lots of plankton, clouds of eggs, and anything else that's small and edible from the ocean. Unlike that famous aggressive eater, the great white, which only has a measly 24 or so teeth on its top and bottom jaws respectively at any given time, the relatively passive filter feeder, the whale shark, has loads of tiny teeth, over 300 exposed in its jaw. You're going to need a bigger toothbrush. Additionally, as we just learned, the whale shark has a lot more skin. And again, on its skin are the dermal denticle teeth. And thanks to this recent research project on whale shark eyes, we now know that they even have teeth on their eyes. Very similar to the dermal denticles on the skin, the denticles on the eyes are also tiny teeth-like structures, but these likely have the purpose of protection, not noise reduction. So I guess all I'm saying is, when you think about toothy sharks, maybe the whale shark should be at the top of your list. Moving on to the DAC desk. That's the newly formed Department of Animal Contact. Another person got too close to a bison and was gored for it in Yellowstone. 
If you recall, immediately post-opening of the park, another park visitor behaved badly, which led to a bison bump, which is exactly the same story as this one. We may just have a pattern here, folks. A 72-year-old woman reportedly approached a bison, supposedly within 10 feet multiple times. The bison eventually became defensive and gored the woman. Not too far from this, near Old Faithful, a park visitor from Missouri won what we at Meat Eater would call the Grizzly Bear Lottery by accomplishing what few do, getting charged and mauled and even scratched, but not sustaining any immobilizing or life-threatening injuries. This hiker apparently walked into a sow with cubs on the Ferry Lake Trail. The sow charged, knocked the hiker down before she could deploy her bear spray, but again was relatively unharmed and walked herself back to safety. I found it interesting that all of the news reports on this particular case include the park statement that this incident is the first grizzly bear-related injury inside the park since June of 2019. Way, way back in June of 2019. That's only a year ago. It's June. Sows are on high alert this time of year predominantly in my mind because of that male or boar grizzly who could potentially want to make a meal out of her cubs. And let's be honest, keeping track of kids while on a hike isn't easy or relaxing for any mother. Makes them irritable. Next up, and just a little bit further away, but still considered in that GYE, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, this one happening in Montana Centennial Valley, A U.S. fish and wildlife biologist was attacked by a grizzly bear while at work surveying sage-grouse activity. This biologist was surprised by a pair of young grizzlies, most likely. This is their first season on their own. One bear stood on its hind legs, the other attacked. Bear spray was deployed in this instance, and the use of it may have ended the attack before the other bear could be involved. Human-bear conflict is something we see every spring. Often, the situations involve humans surprising bears as they are going about their business. But in this last case, the human was minding their own business, and the young curious bears, likely making decisions on their own for the first time, decided to take a closer look. This last series of attacks, as well as the uh, one in Big Sky involving the mountain biker that we covered previously, all involve individual humans. If you plan on being out, you may want to remember that. The math says bears very rarely attack groups of people. Watch for sign, as in fresh bear scat, paw prints, maybe the uh, smell of death from a carcass. Get your bear spray in your hand, then remove yourself from the situation. Be uh, bear aware, as they say. Bear-human conflict is something I am genuinely interested in, so I'm going to head down to Idaho and meet up with Idaho Fish and Game take a look at what their team is doing in regards to Grizz here very shortly. Of course, I'll keep you posted on that. Jumping over to the access desk. If you recall, several episodes ago, I mentioned this idea that the state of Colorado had floated out for public comment regarding some of the state-leased recreation lands. They were mulling over requiring all recreational users to have in their possession a valid fishing or hunting license to recreate on lands that use those funds to operate. Well, they did it. Starting July 1, as in last Wednesday, if you find yourself wanting to so much as park your rig or bicycle 
and take a stroll on state wildlife areas or state trust land leased by Colorado Parks and Wildlife, you will need a valid hunting or fishing license. For some reason, if you are under 18 years of age, uh, you still get to be a freeloader. Lots of folks have written in so far to see what I think about this, so here's my opinion. This is great. From what I've seen, if people are made to buy in, they will take more responsibility for their own actions. They will hopefully notice the fact that there are trail crew members working, people cleaning bathrooms, taking garbage from trailheads, and maybe realize, my God, those people contribute to my recreational free time and it costs money. There is a negative side, of course, for uh, all of us longtime license holders that, you know, quite possibly these birders or bikers or picnickers may think, well, geez, I bought a fishing license. I may as well try it out. They'll have to pitch in some cash into the old Dingle Johnson excise tax pool by buying fishing gear, which in turn pays for habitat by matching funds for state agencies. Then those folks are going to be competing with us on our streams and rivers for fish. Then maybe though they might think, uh, geez, I want more places to fish and we can start working on the strange stream access laws in the state of Colorado or Wyoming or New Mexico. Anyway, moving on. William Perry Pendley, the acting head of the BLM, that's Bureau of Land Management, has been officially appointed by President Trump meaning that he will have to go up for congressional review, which is something like a uh, in-person grilling for your job. William Perry Pendley has a background of being anti-public land. Many people are very confused by this appointment because the Bureau of Land Management manages 245 million acres. That's one acre out of every 10 in the U.S., so I imagine William Perry Pendley will have to explain why he should be the head of 245 million acres of public land while he is so publicly opposed to the U.S. even having public land. Well, I'll keep you updated on that. Last but not least, the Great American Outdoors Act is in the house. Remember when folks used to say that? What's up? What's up? What the? Anyway. Call your congressional representatives this time. Tell them to just pass this thing. As it stands, don't try to tack anything on. We'll have plenty of time to work on other things after the Great American Outdoors Act gets to President Trump's desk. This is too important to muddy up. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, tell a friend or two. If you have any news you're dying to share with me, from your neck of the woods, or if you need to just set me straight on something, you can always get a hold of me at A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. If this is catching you and the fam on the return leg from your Independence Day weekend, drive safe. Lots more weekends and adventures to be had. I'll talk to you next week. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui 
while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. 